Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Calling Tau City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message, it was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear, please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa. Part of the District of Wonders network. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm hooning, waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. I'm pointing them to the moon. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 639. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Get it out the way straight away. We have Jeremy Sal on the show today with one of his stories. Yes, our old editor, Jeremy, who has got a novel out at this moment, which you really should go and buy. It is fantastic. I'm listening to the audiobook and it is brilliant. One of the best dark space operas I have listened to in, and debut as well. And I've, when you listen to Jeremy's work, you know what I mean? I've kind of listened to his stories a, a long time there now. Man, you just knew, you just knew, you know what I mean? He picked up by Galance and it was published in June 2020. Man, 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 links there, please. Go and support our ex-editor Jeremy there. Right, let's get into the main fiction. Like I say, it is Jeremy's story, and it is The Data Sultan of Streets and Stars by Jeremy Zal. The story first appeared in Where the Stars Rise, Asian Science Fiction, October 2018. So, Jeremy was born in 1995, man, even that, you know what I mean, a babby, and was raised by wild dingoes, which should explain a lot. He spent his childhood exploring beaches, bookstores, and the limits of people's patience. He is the author of over 40 science fiction short stories, and like I mentioned, his debut novel, Stormblood, a dark space opera, was published by Galance in June 2020. And is the first of a trilogy. He was the editor of the Hugo winning Starship Silver until 2020. 
and has a B in film studies and creative writing from the UNSW. He carves out a living in Sydney, Australia with his family. He loves watching weird movies, collecting boutique gins, exploring cities, cold weather and dark humour. And you can find him and there's a website there and his Twitter handle. And I like the bit about the boutique gins. We are as well, mind you. But there's, I like that how he's, he's dragged that into these, his Stormblood book as well. Like the gins and like the future drinks and everything. Oh man, honestly, get yourself a copy of that. Now this story is narrated by Eric Luke. Eric Luke is the screenwriter of the Joe Dante film Explorers, which is currently in development as a remake of the comic book Ghosts and Wonder Woman and wrote and directed not quite human films for Disney's TV. His current project, Interface, a meta-horror audiobook about an audiobook that kills, is available free on iTunes and Quillhammer. So, the Starship Sova is very, very, very proud to present the date. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Sultan of Streets and Stars by Jeremy Zoll The alien slams me up against the station walls so hard I think he's broken my spine. If I didn't activate my armbands of my skin suit in time to cushion the impact, he might have. I try to squirm out of his grasp, but it's like pushing against an iron wall. I throw my hands up. You win. Just let go of me. His grip tightens. Try to run again, and I will snap your neck, Bodhi. I'd planned on darting away as soon as he released me, but now I think the better of it. I'm a short, scruffy guy and it won't be hard for him to catch me. He releases me, and I slide down the wall, raking in gulps of air. Humans. Zukji Sma shakes his head. 
Like most Gadesh, he's two meters tall with a stocky body. Thick tubes snake in and out of his carapace-like armor, recycling oxygen to match the methane atmosphere of his Dyson Sphere home. But we're both far from home, in Anaset Station, a place built in the mined-out husk of a metallic asteroid. Most of the folk here are humans, but there are a few Gadesh wandering around. The cosmos rolls the dice, and of course, I bump into him of all people. Let's have a talk, shall we? Sma pokes me in the chest. He's cut himself from the sharp edge of the metal wall, and a few droplets of his green-blue blood spatters on my chest. A shrug. We go to a Lebanese shop that sells Arab-style coffee. The turbaned owner does the physical work while his gin performs the electronic activities, flipping the machine on and rotating the dispenser. Wispy smoke floats up to the mosaic ceiling. I can't remember a time when we didn't use gins to assist us. A kilometer-long starship glides by our viewport, a testament to human engineering. Humans might have designed it, but gins built it. The gin bot arrives with our cups of steaming liquid blackness. The stuff is overpriced. Somehow I doubt Sma's going to be paying for it. You wanted something? There's no way in hell I'm catching my ship now, so I might as well humor him. Of course. Sma doesn't touch his coffee. From the way he sits, you'd think his spine was made of steel. For all I know about Gadesh biology, it probably is. The one thing I do know about Gadesh is that their armor shifts in color to match their mood. And right now, his is only starting to dial down from pitch black. I hear they're making new gins on Earth, yes? They're always making new gins. There's no reason I have to make it easy for him. Sma's rectangular pupils narrow to cold gray slits. I've never noticed just how gray they are. I mean high-tier gin. Ones that can pilot ships without any assistance. You would know about this, yes? They are, I respond. They won't be on the market for years. You can almost see the I've-got-you-now twinkle in Sma's eye. Now, that is where you come in. I'm not going back to Istanbul, I tell him. Not after what happened. What exactly happened down there? The Galenet has been rather quiet. He probably knows, but I tell him anyway. We're always attempting to improve the gins, raise their tiers so they can juggle together activities and for longer. We were so, so close to crafting gin capable of deep space asteroid mining. We'd unveiled them in a conference room to investors in the business. Only there'd been a malfunction, and the gins had gone rogue, killing a dozen people. I'd been the data sultan, one of the lead programmers. We shushed it up afterwards, but my superiors recommended I skip Earth and waited for things to cool down. The families of the deceased were powerful people with deep pockets and shallow mercy. Still, it's unlikely they'd chase me across space. Sma leans back on his seat, the divan creaking under his weight. Hmm, fascinating. Very fascinating. You really did mess up, didn't you? With a dozen people dead and a bounty hanging over me? You could say so, I respond. Well, 
I have a proposition for you. The sarcasm seems to have gone over his head. I want you to go back to Istanbul and get me one of those Gin Sevens. They should be sorted out by now, yes? Probably. But I won't be going back there, I tell him. His eyes narrow again, and his armor darkens. You act as if you have a choice in the matter. I'll damn sure say I do. A sudden blur, and I glance down to see a pistol folding out of his metal sleeve. Thousands of minuscule metallic bits scrambling over each other like glossy black ants, coalescing to form a revolver pointed straight at me. Unnervingly, from this angle, he's got it aimed at my crotch. I make it my goal of never having pointy things prodded in this general direction. Never had a coffee date go this badly. I do my best to smile as I pretend to inspect my drink. Say, what exactly did you put in this? Sma is not amused. You're going to get that gin, whether you want to or not. Why me? I demand. He taps the veins on my forearm. It's hard not to recoil from his blood-warm touch. The Gin Sevens are synced to your DNA. You have those implants that allow you to enter the systems. Do not try to fool me. We both know you're the only one who can do it. It's scary how much he knows about the whole thing. I was stupid to underestimate him. Do so, and I'll forgive your debt. No debt is worth that much. After everything I have done for you and your brother, I'm letting you off lightly. The knot in my chest tightens. These people don't come after you. They come after your family first. I turn to Sma to put us into hiding and steal me across space safely. You wave the right card to the right people, and they can't get you through fast enough. I always knew he'd come calling in my debt, but not here, not now. Perhaps I can give your friends a call. Those gray eyes flicker, like water slipping through sand. He leans so close I can see his hacksaw teeth. Maybe I can tell them where to find your brother. I haven't seen my brother in years. Not since he turned to a life of poverty as a dervish man. It happened after father had been killed in an anti-Muslim pogrom, leaving both of us orphans. I think my brother couldn't handle the responsibility. But it doesn't matter where he is. I know Sma will kill him. He'll do it. I know he will. A single call, and we're smeared out of existence. My throat's filled with concrete, nerves electric. I can only play along. I take a sip of my insanely overpriced coffee, far too bitter for my liking, and smile. I suppose I can reconsider. It looks like you have nowhere to go. Sma readjusts his grip on the gun, still pointing towards my groin. Do we have a deal? The sticky heat presses down on the shoulders, the sort that only comes from the worst a Turkish summer can offer. Hulking starships slice through the sky, fashioned like the old Phoenician ships. If I look closely, I think I can see the one that dropped me here a few hours ago, shooting off to the Dubai and Cairo spaceports. I wish I was back on that ship. I should be on the ship. But I'm not, because I'm an idiot. My head sways, my legs wobble. 
After spending so much time in artificial gravity and in space stations, coming down to terra firma makes me want to throw up. I walk through the streets of Istanbul. The city's a patchwork. Skyscrapers and apartments merging with ancient minaresques and mosques. The muezzin call almost being drowned out by the whine of gin-bots. Dolmuses shuttle through mosaic bazaars of spice shops and computer workshops. There's no border of where the old ends and the new begins. They all bleed and twist into each other, people packed into buildings like seeds in an urban pomegranate. I watch the djinn peeling a starship apart at the shipment yard. I'm guessing that these djinn are medium-tier, careful to avoid collision, and only taking equipment they can carry. Like all jinn, they're bound to a single physical bot, so there's only so much they can do. Human assistance is still required. We made certain of that. Farther down the road, a mosque rubs shoulders with a freelancing hub where Ifrit hackers purge software demons from computer systems. Their veins pulse with dark blue nano-implants that allow their bodies the capacity to hook up to the computer systems. Otherwise, the acceleration will fry your brain. They strap you into a chair and pump nano-implants directly into the vein. It's like a fingerprint on a molecular level. I'm out of my skin suit now and wearing normal clothes, doing my best to merge with the fabric of the city. Me and my brother Omar used to live on this street as boys. I even spot our old house fashioned from old Ottoman wood, converted into a cafe where old men chug away at hookahs, complaining about all the immigrants from Greece and Lebanon. Me and Omar had formed a gang of sorts, trying to nick as many locums as possible. We even managed to capture a gin bot and used it for transporting our sweets from place to place. It's incredible we lasted as long as we did, all five days, before we were caught and taken to our parents. Omar fell on his own sword, claiming that it was his idea, when it had been mine, and he just dragged me into it. Father didn't buy his speech and gave us the beating of our lives. I hated Father for it then, but now I'd give anything to have him back. The Mukarna building stretches tall over in the distance, the birthplace of all jinn. A lump forms in the back of my throat. I know that the rogue jinns aren't my fault. But it's hard to convince yourself, after seeing the bloody body remains and knowing you had a hand in it. I sense someone is behind me, not making much of an effort to stay hidden, too big and clumsy to be a beggar or thief. It has to be one of the gangs. I've been back one day, and they've found me already. My heart jackhammers in my chest, and I'm about to dart away when the figure closes the gap between us and locks an arm around my neck, bundling me into an alley on the side and into a dark room so fast I barely have time to think. I'm starting to wonder if they'll slit my throat straight away or take their time when the lights jump to life and I see my assailant. It's Omar, my brother. He's clad in a white cloak with a slash of red over his shoulder. He peers at me through a matted black beard a turban wound around his head. I can't even pretend to hide my relief. You gave me one hell of a scare, you know? No reply. We're in a dingy little K-house room, jalab cups littered over a greasy bench, broken iznik pottery scattered on the floor. Half a dozen dervishes squint back at us. 
Omar snaps his fingers and spits out a string of sentences, and they scuttle away. For the first time in a decade, we are alone. What are you doing here, Sikander? I almost flinch at hearing my real name. You've got killers looking everywhere for you. After all this time, that's his welcome. <sighs> that's my brother for you. He's a few years older than me, but looks like he's centuries ahead. A life of seeking Tarika has not been kind to him. How do you know about that? He taps the side of his head. I hear things. People don't think beggars or dervishes are listening. They're wrong. Dwell in the streets for long enough, and you learn many things, he sighs. There is a blessing in having nothing. His reasoning for walking this path of austerity was so he could draw close to Allah. But how do you spend your days squatting in poverty when starships kilometers long soar above you? When the roar of their spacefaring engines is louder and more authoritative than any Muezzin call ever could be. I left the city as soon as I could. I felt stifled by its old-fashionedness. I was just a boy when Istanbul became the first metropolis in the world to construct space stations and make contact with aliens, opening up commercial spaceports a few years later, in 2078. I slipped away as soon as I could, studying jinn programming off-world. I'd embraced the modern, and Omar had slid in the opposite direction. You need to leave, he says. Ajar Kadesh wants your head on a silver platter. He's flown all the way from Dubai to look for you. I shiver despite the muggy heat. One of the most dangerous men in this corner of the world. And he's after me. They've already found one of the other data sultans. He washed up on the shores of the Bosphorus in pieces, barely recognizable. I try not to dwell on that. I can't leave. Otherwise we're both dead. Why? What's happened? His hands curled into tight fists, and I wonder if he's going to strike me. Please don't tell me you went to a Gadesh for help. My silence seems to be sufficient answer. Of all people, you know those creatures can't be trusted. I need to break into the Mukarna. That's all. He shakes his head. You'll ruin us, Sikander. My temper flares. At least I'm trying to protect our family. What the hell do you do all day? I know I'm shouting, but I don't care. He needs to hear this. You just squat in the mud and pray to a god who doesn't give a toss about any of us. You don't get to judge. Not anymore. Omar bites his cracked lips, and I can see that I've wounded him. I'm sorry, Omar. I, I didn't mean to. He waves a hand. Don't. You're probably right. He sinks down to the floor next to me. After father died, he halts mid-sentence. This is the first time I've heard him speak about father. I couldn't face the world, so I turned to God. He smiles that watery smile of his. Although it seems he has not turned to me. Not yet, he shakes his head. I'm sorry I abandoned you, Sika. I failed you all. Sika. Father used to call me that. I swallow. You can still help. I just need to get inside. You work there, don't you? Can't you just go inside? I'm not supposed to be in this city, remember? They have eyes and ears everywhere. I can't help but wonder if they already know where I am. I peer out the bug-spattered window at the hulking skyscraper. 
half a kilometer of carved marble, glass, and technology. There has to be another way. You never were one for playing it safe, he ponders for a moment. Give me a few days. I'll listen around, see if I can pick up anything useful. Again, that watery smile. You stay low in the meantime. We wouldn't want to lose your head, would we? I would have laughed. But right now it's not even funny. I'm on top of the world. The summer wind drifts out to the Mediterranean, tousling my hair. Istanbul yawns out like an endless Mughal carpet. Streets run like rivers through buildings of blood red, saffron yellow, and bronze. The air is electric with the whine of shuttles and starships from the spaceport that eats up kilometers of the city's space. If I look closely, I can even see bots ghosting through the air, each and every one containing its own unique gin. Just not the type I'm after. I'm perched near the lip of the Mukarna. Getting up here was the easy part. It was just a matter of hacking the access code and climbing the stairwell of the adjacent building and hopping across. Omar had indeed found a way. There's a little balcony near the top of the Mukarna. He'd overheard two data sultans mentioning the jammed door, and they were having trouble closing it. That's my way in. It's a matter of getting down there. I'm back in my skin suit, helmet sealed tight around my neck. I wear a harness, the sort that they use in abseiling, but designed to be lightweight and skin tight. I've hooked the magnetic clamp at the edge of the building and tested it and the shoulder straps half a dozen times more than necessary. But if I fall down, it's not going to be pretty. I grin and briefly wonder how long they'd have to scrub the pavement to get bits of me out of it. With a deep breath, I slowly start to descend. The harness groans, bites into my armpits, and squeezes a little too tightly around my groin. I feel every square inch of the altitude beneath me, aware that only a few strips of webbing are keeping me alive. Carefully, carefully, I continue lowering myself, boots clunking on the thick glass. My hand slips on the webbing, and for a moment I'm free-falling. Heart in mouth, I tug on the wiring and jerk mid-air, slamming against the glass with enough force to splinter my ribs. For a moment I think I black out. I don't know which way is up or down. A mix of sweat and fear trickles down my spine. This is stupid. I'm going to get myself killed. For a moment, I'm tempted to call the whole thing off and just tell Sma to screw himself, or whatever it is the Kaddish do. But that'd be signing my brother's death warrant in my own blood. No, I have to see this through. I scrape together the dregs of my sanity and continue. Ten minutes of frayed nerves, and I'm nearing the balcony. It's a square stretching out twenty meters in all directions, packed with plant life and fruit trees and all sorts of fauna. A tiny jungle nestled in the center of an urban one. I'm about to close in when I hear a nasty groan from the cable. I freeze, petrified to move a muscle. Then it snaps, ripping the buckle with it and plunging me into darkness. Almost without conscious thought, I reach out and activate my armbands. They flicker to life as I land on solid flagstones. The armbands cushion the blow, take the impact, and smooth the jolt evenly through my body. It's like razors raking my body from the inside. I teeter on the precipice of screaming, but it would have hurt more if my spine had been snapped.
I deactivate the armbands and slip over to the door, gloved hand curled around the metal. The gin programmers said the door lock was broken. If Omar misheard or they got it fixed, then I'm completely screwed. I press down the lock. The door swings open. Empty. The halls are empty. Just rows and rows of desks, twinkling computers and blank hollow screens. I work here almost every day, sometimes on weekends, frantically trying to up gin capabilities, increase their speeds, their intelligence, their response rate, the height of their sentience, and people died as a result. One day, when some of the most violent and powerful gangsters in the Middle East aren't trying to rip my eyeballs out and tear my balls off, I'll come back here and fix this problem and make the Jin 7 what they should have been. Someday, just not today. I ghost past a cluster of marble desks, past wall-to-ceiling screens. It's like being in another dimension. The worlds of the streets and dervishes and the worlds of high-tech and gins sliced apart by a few inches of glass. I go down the stairs to access the safe lab area where the gins are confined on another highly secured floor. The walls here are laced with an anti-signal material that blocks anything from getting in or out. I punch the access code and slip inside. My helmet vision flicks into night mode and I dart over to my old workstation. It's a recliner chair fastened in front of a crescent-shaped computer system, the ones only data sultans can use. I tug my helmet off, ease myself into the chair, and allow the clamps to hook me in. It takes a few seconds for the scanner to attach to my head and the crystal display goggles to unfold over my eyes. And then there's that quick bite of pain as my DNA is verified and I'm logged into the computer system. It's like staring at a 360-degree monitor screen inside your brain, something only those with nano-implants can keep up with. Clutching the control prism, I make a quick sweep for the gin. They're not here. They're gone, scrubbed out of existence. I do another search, more thoroughly this time. They're still not there. Not a scrap of code left. It's only when I feel a cold fire lighting under my ribs that I know I'm dead. And to top it off, Sma is trying to get in contact. My Palmer has hooked up with the system and his ID code has popped up in virtual space in front of me. I cancel it. He's going to be pissed, but he's going to be even more pissed once he finds out that the entire Jin 7 program has vanished. I unplug and seal my helmet back on. I'm about to depart when I hear a metallic crink. I whip around, but everything's still. I hear it again. I know it's not a mistake. Someone's here. A dismantled gin robot rises from where it's slumped in the corner, twists its cinder block head with a metallic screech to stare at me. My limbs go numb, but somehow I'm able to scramble for the door. I almost reach it, when a drone slams into my ribs and sends me sprawling. I'm too shocked to register the pain. I make another attempt at escape when a turret arm folds out of the pristine wall and points at me. If it opens fire, I won't stand a chance. I'll be torn to wet ribbons in a matter of seconds. I crouch behind a desk, heart going like a jackhammer. I'm dead, I know it. There's no wriggling out of this one. The room's electric, gin bots, and drones 
stirring around me in a maelstrom of energy. Suddenly, I know exactly where the Jin Seven have gone. They're confined to these quarters, so they can't reach the main offices. Now, I need to escape without them slipping through the door. I'm thrown flat on my back. I twist to see the bot descend down to my face. I don't know what it's going to do, but I'm guessing I'm not going to like it very much. Something jumpstarts in my head, and I blurt out, Don't! It's me, Sikander! It's no good using anything but my real name now. The bot hesitates. I was one of the data sultans here. Your programmer. I'm not here to hurt you. The bot swivels. There's a dash of blood from an open wound when I was smacked to the ground. The djinn extends a probe to collect a sample. My breath burns in my throat, and I pick myself up as the djinn bot sets itself down on the table, unmoving. A moment later, the speakers crackle to life. So, you're our programmer, are you? The voice is androgynous, neither male nor female. I've heard the high-tier djinn speak, but never with such authority, never with so much self-assurance of their sentience. Yes, I say. Well, one of them. I watch the cinderblock-headed bot crash to the ground, only for a drone to peel itself away from a workbench a moment later in one fluid motion. My mind fizzles. Something's not right. How did you do that? I ask. We don't need just one body, the djinn says. Not anymore. In a matter of seconds, at least three bots have stirred to life in a flurry of twinkling lights, one after the other. And I realize that they're streaming from one bot to the next, traveling via the net, freed from physical restraints, like the mythological genies of old. These aren't Jin 7. They're the next level. Jin 8. And they've escaped their own bodies, jumping to any device, any machine that they can reach. I pivot to the crystal display stapled at the end of the wall as a djinn possesses it. A swirling, muscled figure of emerald green and velvet black fills the screen. Wreathed in clouds, the upper two of its forearms clutching curved scimitars, with the bottom two holding kilids. My heart almost grinds to a shuddering stop. Now they've given themselves avatars. This cannot be good. How many of you are there in this room? I ask, my throat dry. Six at the current time. The djinn's mouth works in perfect sync with the voice booming out of the speakers. Unsettling doesn't even begin to cover it. I'm Shamhurish. I do not know about the others. And of course they've named themselves. And I helped create these things. I'm unsure whether to be overjoyed or afraid for my life. They've kept us here in this room while they perform tests, so they know that they can't leave the room. They're trying to repair us. They still believe that we were responsible for that incident at the conference. They— Wait. I'm not sure I heard correctly. The massacre at the conference? The one where jinns killed dozens of people? It was not our fault. The green clouds around Shamhurish flash with streaks of black and red, and for a moment I'm afraid the turret will shoot me. Someone sent a software demon into our server. We were unable to do anything but watch. It was not us. Now they've trapped us, 
trying to fix something that isn't broken. We want to get out of here. Putting aside that I'm arguing with a djinn, I try to process all this new information. If their malfunction was the result of a third-party virus and not shoddy programming, then these gangsters are after the wrong people. It's not hard to figure out who had the most to gain from sending the software demon. Sma had rigged the whole thing from the start. He counted on having the ammunition to blackmail me, and I just fell into the palm of his hand. No one else would dare touch Jin 7 after the incident, so he'd be the sole owner of multi-billion dollar gins, intelligent enough to perform deep space mining in asteroids and planets. He'd completely dominate the market. Of course, Mr. Sma hadn't counted on there being Jin 8s in existence. The other data sultans, I say on the spur of the moment. Do you know where they are? Shamhurish looms upwards, expands to fill the screen. Even better. If we have their DNA, we can track them and jump to their location. Can you tell me what happened to them? Shamhurish takes a few seconds before coming back. Five of them are dead, all in the last few days. I'm about to respond. When the main door rips open and two small objects roll through. I know what the first one is. An EMP grenade. I'm unsure about the second, but after it starts spitting a whitish gas, I have a pretty good idea. The room turns to shadows as the EMP goes off, and my head fills with wool. My mind's still foggy from the gas, but I'm conscious enough to tell that I'm strapped to a chair that's bolted to the floor. Arms, legs, waist, chest, ankles, elbows, neck, everything. I try to shift, but it's like being set in concrete. I can't move an inch. It's the chair for restraining people when they inject the nano-implants. The straps are made of thick, sturdy nano-steel, clamping skin-tight around me, designed to be inescapable. I'm not going anywhere. Not until they want me to. I know who they are. The men who forced me to leave Earth in the first place. My blood quickens. I'm staring right in the grinning face of Ajar Kadesh. The cybernetic implant embedded in his temple glows a brilliant cyan. There's five or six others in the background, completely different in appearance, but all sharing the one facial expression. Hate. We're still in the same room, sealed off from the offices and the rest of the world. There's no chance of calling for help or raising the alarm. I'm totally at their mercy. Been doing a little traveling, have we? I force a dry smile. Oh, you know, just doing the tourist things. Funny. That's not what your brother said. Ajar grins that I'm-in-control-here grin. His breath smells like spearmint. He really didn't want to tell us where you went. But we... Convinced him? My heart lurches. Please, don't hurt. Don't hurt him? Ezar barks a laugh that turns my inside sour. You killed three of mine. You're lucky we didn't cut his hands off. He brings up his video palmer, and I'm staring at my brother. His face is caked in dry blood, one eye swollen shut, and his breathing is slow and shallow. But he's alive. 
I am so, so sorry, he sniffs. It hurts to hear how raw his voice is. They were going to kill me. I... I'm fine. I lie. They... That's enough. The palmer is whipped away. Looks like Allah didn't want to lend a hand to your brother, eh? I'm about to respond. When a giant slab of a man plants his fist in my gut, my world goes monochrome and I'm clawing for breath. Another blow hammers into my chest, and for a moment I think he's actually killed me. Dirty Jahash! The man spits. Don't be too rough with him, says Ajar. We can take our time. We've got months. He pulls the chest straps of my harness as I gasp for breath. Maybe even years. He releases me. It's not torturing a man that makes him lose his dignity, you know. It's letting him sit in his own sweat and piss day after day, week after week. Unable to move, unable to see or scream, unable to escape the smell of his own stink, unable to even kill himself. He pats my thigh. That truly drives a person mad. Put the keycard for the chair around his neck, giggles one of his men. It's so funny to see them go crazy trying to get it. I'm pretty close to pissing myself now, but I don't let them see it. I can't. I'm swimming in sweat inside my skin suit. I truly believe that they do that to me. Slow torture. Ajar believes I ripped his brothers away from him, and he's going to make me suffer for it. The other data sultans might be involved, but you were the lead programmer, he tells me. Your responsibility. Your fault. I had to tell my family why their sons and husbands were not coming home, he gestures to his men. We all lost someone that day. Someone has to answer for them. I'm not, I try to reason with Ajar, but a devastating blow into my stomach cuts me off. So, I think we might as well get started now, wouldn't you say? Ajar's billionaire playboy grin goes deeper. It's all nice and quiet here. It's a challenge not to struggle. It's what they want to see. I know these people. They get a kick out of seeing others squirm helplessly under their boots. I'm not going to be a part of that. At least, that's what I think. Until Ajar flips out his blade. Three of my brothers. Gone. Ajar stabs a button on a side panel to tighten my restraints as far as they can go. And I'm being crushed into the chair. I suppose three fingers would make up for it. For starters, he smiles again. Wouldn't you agree? My breath shivers in my throat as my chest rises and falls, sweat snaking down my spine. I try not to look behind him as he stalks over and strokes my arm. You left, or right-handed? Either's comfortable, I tell him, trying to stretch out this conversation. Slabman is setting up his palmer to film the whole thing, and the others are watching with stony faces. You're a funny one, Sikander. My glove is tugged away, leaving my left hand and fingers exposed. He rests a blade against the pinky. My stomach cartwheels and my chest feels like it's on fire. Or is it Bodhi? No matter. You won't need a name for much longer. Wait, I blurt out. But he's already made the first slice, cutting into bone. My world burns crimson.
I nearly bite my tongue in half. I'm screaming with a voice that isn't mine, thrashing against the restraints, and roaring curses as he saws and saws till my finger hangs from the stump by a strip of skin. He neatly tears it off and dumps it in my lap. And then he stops and stares at me as my screams descend to dark chuckles. Everyone's fixed on me as I curl my bleeding hand into a fist and raise my helmeted head towards them. You forgot something! I laugh with a wide grin, throat raw from screaming. This room is haunted! It's only then that they turn around to notice the turret that's folded out from the wall. Everyone freezes, confused. This whole time I've been waiting for the djinns to recover from the EMP blast. Now I'm watching Shamhirish line up the shots with a targeting prison from my helmet, just waiting for the moment to strike. The turret jerks to life. The sound is deafening, hammering in my skull. I'm almost blown away by the sheer, devastating force as bullets rip into Azhar's men. Someone's screaming, but I can't hear the words. Red liquid mists on my helmet. Three men collapse on the floor in crimson pools. I strain as far as the restraints will allow, but I can't see the rest. They must have ducked for cover. The turret makes a hollow click. It's out of ammunition, Shamhurish says matter-of-factly. Then I see Slabman charging my way from the shadows. A drone slams into the side of his head and he topples into a graceless tangle of limbs. Get them! I spit into my helmet. The room bursts to life with a mechanical whirl. The chair rumbles as Shamhurish releases my restraints and I dive for cover. This isn't my fight. I just get in the way. One of the men darts for the door and a half-finished robot lifts him off the ground like a ragdoll and slams him to the ground with a wet crunch. Someone scrambles to his aid, and an entire display screen unhooks itself from the wall and crushes the man underneath. Suddenly there's a nuclear blast of pain rippling through me. A bullet is lodged in my shoulder, blood dripping down my skin suit. Azhar fires off another shot, gouging plaster and chunks of brick from the walls. I'm about to scramble away when Azhar knocks me to the ground and straddles me, pressing the gun to my head. I prefer being on top, if that's all right with you. I earn myself a punch in the stomach for that. The metallic tang of blood floods my mouth. You think this ends with you? His smug smile is gone, replaced with a fiery rage. Nah, I'll find that mud-stained, god-loving brother of yours, and... I've heard enough. Go for it! Azhar looks confused, but only for a second when the implant in his head starts flashing as Shamharish overloads it far beyond its capacity. His eyes go wide, and his head explodes in a purple-red blur. He topples to the floor, headless, pieces of his skull scattered like broken Isnik pottery. It's only when I pick myself up that I realize that I'm shaking in a cold sweat. I don't even want to look at my finger but I know they'll grow me a new one. I'm alive, and Azhar's men are not. So that's one point for me. That was most interesting. Shamhurish reappears in the corner of my helmet with a gratuitous puff of smoke, swords now bloodied. Are you hurt? I'll be fine. 
I turn towards the window as dawn approaches, watching a starship ascend heavenward. It's not over yet, though. Sma answers immediately. I'm sitting outside of the room now, nursing a steaming mug of coffee and trying to ignore the bite of antiseptic-soaked cloth around my finger. It's not enough, but I guess it won't be long before the police are called and the wound is examined. But this first. I wave to Sma. Long time no see. He's as stoic as ever. I see you've gotten into that building. Do you have them? The gin? I struck my chin. You know, I think I'm going to keep them. You haven't been very nice to me, and I don't think you deserve them. You can almost see those gray eyes of his light up like a furnace, his armor shifting to a jet black. You think you're funny, don't you? He's visibly shaking now. I will break you. You hear me? He warbles on with a long list of violent threats. I just nod and smile. Very good. But here's the thing. I have the gin. Who says I can't come after you first? I wish you luck finding me. I don't need to. I hold up a tiny plastic patch of dark blue in front of the camera so he can see. Remember back on the station? Will you cut yourself? I sip my coffee and smack my lips. I got a bit of your blood on me, if you'll recall. His eyes narrow. Your point? Well, these djinn here can track people via their DNA. Even across space, I wink at him and let the coffee splash to the floor. It looks like you've got nowhere to go. By the time he realizes what's happened, they've already sent software demons to breach his room, possessing his armor. The gun unfolds from his sleeve, rotates to point at his head with him powerless to stop it. Bodie, you... The gun discharges, and I sever the connection. I push myself away from the desk and stretch my aching limbs. It's dawn, and the city's stirring, traffic building up on the roads like a blood-clotted vein. Even through the glass, I can hear the Adan call from the mosques, the roar of space shuttles taking off, the seamless blend of old and new, modern and ancient. I walk to the balcony garden and peer below as police cars swerve to a stop near the foot of the building. Pretty soon I'll have some explaining to do. They'll search nook and cranny for the gin, But they won't find them. Because I won't have them. I can't help but marvel at their intelligence. How precise and capable of autonomy. How powerful they are. And how dangerous they'd be in the wrong hands. How easily they could be exploited. Sma had come so dangerously close. Shamhurish knows he and the other Jin eight will be destroyed. In return for taking care of Sma, he asks for the jinns to be taken away from this place. I've done one better. I've removed the firewall preventing them from leaving and downloaded them into my helmet. They're there now, dormant, and waiting to be reactivated. And now that the helmet is flying through the air, where it'll land in the river below, I've called my brother and told him where to pick it up and hold it for safekeeping. I promise myself that someday I'll come back and work on these gins, 
finish what we set out to do before all this mess. Someday. Just not today. The helmet bobs down the river. Now, I wait. I'm not sure how I'm going to explain this one to the police, but I've wriggled out of worse. At least my brother is safe. I've never believed in an afterlife, but if Father is somewhere out there in Jana, then I hope he's smiling down on me. Careful not to hurt my hand, I close my eyes and rest my head on the railing, soaking up the Middle Eastern morning sun and listening to the Muezzin's chant. And there you go. Like I say, a huge thank you to Jeremy. I'm just so pleased all this is happening. You know what I mean? It's just taken off. It's just, it's a little bit kind of disheartening that kind of novel came out in the height of a pandemic that the world has never seen before. So hopefully, listen, go out, get it on Audible. It's there. That's how I'm listening to it on Audible. You can just get any, anything Kindle on, go on Amazon, just type in Jeremy Zal and Stormblood. Please support Jeremy. That would be just Utterly, utterly fantastic. Until next week, I'd just like to say good night from me. Thank you for listening. I don't get that much. I've barely left the ground. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. Pointing them to the moon But the work is going slowly It won't get to you anytime soon Can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio I want to talk to you This signal's going light speed By the time I get my say I might already be on to you and on my way But you're so far from here And at best I'm moving slow So I'm waiting on your call at home with nowhere to go Can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio I want to talk to you I want to talk to you Myself on a radio wave, I might get to you someday. If books were rocket ships, I'd need only the will to fly. I'm still building word by word, and I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.